0: Eric, what's going on, man? Thanks for coming oh. on the show again.
1: Hell yeah, dude. Always happy to jump on here and just riff with you.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm excited for today. I feel like, honestly, I feel like we can make this like a quarterly thing and, and get you on every 10, 15, 20 episodes or so. Cause mm-hmm. I was just mentioning right before we started to hit record. It's like the conversation that we had right before this could have likely been a podcast in its own and stuff. So, uh, I just, uh, it's funny when you meet people that, and it doesn't even have to re- pertain to like health and fitness or whatever field that you're in, but sometimes you connect with people and, and you start to have these conversations and they're like mentally stimulating. They're they're both coming from like uh, spaces that you appreciate. And it's just, uh it just feels like a productive conversation, which I don't think people have a whole lot of sometimes. Mm. Um, there's a lot of like argumenting or like um, holding sides or this kind of tribalist mentality when it comes to literally anything in life, but especially in the health and fitness space. So it's kind of cool to, to hear your perspective on things and for me to give my two cents. And, uh, that's kind of why we record it for other people to listen to us as, as weird as that sounds to say it out loud, but, um, I'm, I'm happy you're here. And, and for the people who don't know who Eric is, we, uh, we actually recorded one a while back. I'm going to link that show in, uh, the show notes. So feel free to go back and he gives a longer intro. Uh, In that podcast, so I'm going to save the people's time in that sense. But just give us a little update on what you've been doing the last six to nine months or so since we had our last podcast.
1: Yeah, sounds good, man. Really, really happy to be back. And just like you were saying too, it's it's great when you get around people. The way I like to think about it is people who are interested in in just expansive energy and expanding their own energy, drawing from the energy of others and and expanding just whatever field they're in, you know, moving it forward and, and progressing it. So um, no matter what industry you're in, I, I think that's a really good quality. But uh, yeah, so uh, things with training have been going well. Um, I'm still over at Performance EDU, which is, in my opinion, just the best gym in town. It's, it's so uh, detailed, but I don't know, just cool at the same time. So doing that, I'm doing yoga classes. Uh, probably going to move those outside soon as the weather gets warm, but this has been just the winter from hell. So we've had to stay inside this entire time. And then I have just started to work with the North Valley's women's basketball team. And I'm going to be doing bi-monthly training sessions with them and writing workouts for them for their off season and even into their in season, because um, I met with a couple of the coaches there and their culture is just so awesome. They love those girls so much and the girls love them so much. And they're so committed to doing whatever they can, utilizing whatever resources they have to get those girls better. And they're uh, my buddy, who's one of the coaches over there. He's like, in a couple of years, we should have every single one of our girls sign in college. Like that's that's how good they think this class can be. So anything I can do to help there, I would I just absolutely love helping. So, uh, yeah, yeah, just starting out to do that.
0: That's cool, man. Yeah. And that's really cool of you too. I think there's a lot of opportunity and kind of the profession that we're in to like give, uh, potentially like discounted services or free services. And to be honest, like a lot of times we would do that for free regardless, because depending Mm -hmm. on the person or the coach, like that's what fires you up and that's what you live for. And any opportunity that you're able to do that, like a lot of times you want to take advantage of that. And and then you got to also appreciate that. It's like, I got to live and I got to like feed myself too. And to to make sure that I can, you know, live the life that I'm trying to live as well. Um, so there's, it's kind of that balancing act, but some of these opportunities that come up, it's like, we'll make it work regardless. So it's really cool Mm -hmm. that you're kind of working with that, with that population. And for those people who have no idea where Reno, Nevada is, there's, uh, I, I don't know, if I'm making a stretch here, but maybe a kind of a, maybe a lower socioeconomic, uh, kind of st- uh, population in the the region. And, and usually from my understanding, having been through the school system here, um, a school that doesn't have as many resources as say some other schools or the clientele and the population and the parents and, um, for you to be helping them and in, in just to be so excited about that, that fires me up weirdly. So I think that's super yeah. cool. Um, so yeah, good for you for, for that. And this kind of brings us to like one of the first topics that I want to talk about, which is like this idea of training, like an athlete, right? Cause mm-hmm. I think, I think what you do really well is like help any type of athlete. And again, for all intents and purposes, if, if you move your body with intent, like you're an athlete in our book, yep. I know I can speak for both yep. of us on that. Um, but you don't have to physically be playing a freaking sport to be, you know, classified as an athlete. Um, And I think a lot of times as we get older, we kind of lose that touch of um, training that maybe we used to do when we were younger. I I feel like high school collegiate athletes can maybe um, resonate with this, where you had a training schedule, you did a lot of things, you had a trainer to help, you know, you did double days, you were performing in your sport, like you were the training you were doing was very intentional. And and as we get older, sometimes that training can kind of dissipate in a sense. And we, we can grow away from it when it doesn't have to be like that. And I think the, the justification or excuse we use, you know, to, to, to make that assumption is like, Oh, well, we're not playing basketball as frequently as much mm-hmm. as we do, or we're not golfing mm-hmm. as much, or we're not getting on the tennis court or going on as many hikes or swimming. It's like, well, just because you're not doing those things doesn't mean you have to completely cut off the type of training that could benefit from that because that type of training could benefit you in other areas of your life mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yep. long, long, yep. long way to draw out this question, but like in your opinion, what what are some benefits of like continuing to train like an athlete, one throughout the lifespan, but also for your sport as well, which I think is a given, but just curious on, mm-hmm. on where you stand on that.
1: Yeah, first off, I think, um, I think it's a mindset. I I think it and it, it never should stop, especially especially up here uh in your head. I I think that being intentional is a very good way to think about it, but I also think being playful as well, like literally playing a sport. You don't have to stop playing once you're done playing if that makes sense. So you can still take anything in life and make it playful, make it intentional. Just do something for the sake of that it feels good. do like that that's it that's the only motivation you need for that but as far as specifically training like an athlete i mean i think that everybody needs it to some extent and you know so you get pushback on on with some people because they're like well i'm not playing a sport anymore i'm not i'm not even intentionally training for anything anymore and then i usually counter with something along the lines of like okay do you hike or um have you ever walked down a flight of stairs and they're like yeah what's this have to do with training like an athlete i'm like okay well let's say it's icy out in the wintertime in Reno, especially this freaking winter. And you slip on ice. Guess what? You're an athlete now that you're in the air. You know, you're going to have to learn how to land and absorb force. So you don't break an ankle or, you know, uh, tear something in your knee or, or anything like that. Or let's say you're hiking, you trip over a stick. Guess what? You're an athlete, something unexpected happened. You're going to have to learn how to move in different ways. You're going to have to get in touch with your proprioception and, and figure out how am I going to make this work? How am I going to land? And I think that's what being an athlete is. It's, it's figuring things out. It's, it's getting yourself in position to force yourself to figure things out and to just identify, okay, where do I have to put my foot now so I can stay safe? Where do I have to put my arms? What, do, what am I doing with my hands? So everybody needs it. Everybody is turned into an athlete <laughs> even if it's unintentional at some point in life. So you might as well do that in the gym. So let's take like a box jump, for example. I mean, that's like, that's quote, you know, an athletic movement. And I don't think anybody would argue with that, but even if you're not training to like specifically jump over something, I think it's still good. Like I was talking about earlier to learn how to absorb force, to learn how to land, to learn how to let your big muscles do the work and not your tiny little ligaments and connective tissue and all that. So You take a box jump, you don't have to jump very high. You don't even have to jump over a box. You can just jump straight up in the air and land. You can take a step off a little box or a ledge and land. I mean, there's so many different things. There's always something. This is why I find athletic training so fascinating because there's always something you can do to scale it up and make it harder. And there's always something you can do to scale it down. So it can be an intimidating thing until you understand that it doesn't have to mean you're doing the same box jump as like J.J. Watt you know, or, or or anybody like that. You're and and that's our job as trainers is to figure out where somebody is, you know, and then we scale them up from wherever their baseline is. I'm not gonna make everybody do the exact same box jump, but I will to some extent make everybody learn how to absorb force in a correct way. So that's a that's just kind of my broad way of thinking about it. And that goes into double leg, single leg, upper body type stuff, twisting, rotating. I mean that same sort of thing. That see where people are and scale them up from there. That applies to any movement under the sun, and that's why I love it so much. Because also the the other thing too is that it just it becomes fun and it becomes empowering. And I, I can't tell you the amount of times I've seen people. Let's let's just let's just stay on that box jump, train for a little bit. I can't tell you the amount of times I've I've seen people do a box jump where they couldn't get a couple months prior, or they didn't think they could do it, but I'm looking at how high they're getting up and I'm like, I know you can do it. And then they land it and they feel so good. And that's what training like an athlete is about to me. It's, it's that empowerment. It's, it's the confidence that they gain from that. It's a sense of accomplishment and it's just fun. It's like, dude, let's just do some cool shit in the gym, man. We don't have to just all lift like bodybuilders and stuff. So um, once I start doing that with people, it, it the, the light bulb starts to click pretty fast.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree, dude. I I love all of that. And it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of like when I think about it too, it's like a lot of times people can grow out of the mindset of training. Like they used to, um, one, because maybe they don't know how to do it or they, they might not have the gym or the resources to do that. I think that's one barrier. Um, but I also think it's this, uh, type of like justification in their head that it's like, Hey, since I don't do X anymore, that means I shouldn't or, or maybe can't, or, um, mm-hmm. is it necessary to do X type of training alongside with that? And a lot of times I find that that, I don't know how you feel about this or your experience, but I find mm-hmm. that that's sometimes the, the thing that, you know, flips that switch in people's heads where it's like, well, I'm getting older, I shouldn't be playing basketball anymore, or I Mm -hmm. shouldn't be doing whatever it was that I used to as much as I used to do it anymore. And then Mm -hmm. before you know it, it's like completely removed from their life. And they're kind of missing that thing that used to bring them a lot of happiness or joy or stuff that they were maybe good at in the past where- Mm -hmm. When you start to shift your mindset and you, maybe you start to intentionally train like that a little bit more, maybe you start to get into the gym or hire somebody like Eric, or, um, even start to experiment with some of the equipment in your gym or buying some home equipment and you start to jump and you start to move laterally and you start to do the agility ladder and you start to do unilateral movements and, and you start to, you know, uh, move up and down and left and right and start to jump rope. It's like, before you know it, that joy starts to come back. Some things that Mm -hmm. you used to remember doing a lot of, but I think the word you said was confidence, like your confidence and your ability to do some of those things start to come back, which can then almost be an impetus for you to pick up some of those things again and to get back into it or to find a recreational league or to get a group of friends together or or even like, you know, put yourself out there and to be able to like, try and find stuff that maybe you didn't even see was an opportunity because you were so closed off to the idea of you even doing that in the first place. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's something that really, one, can help build your confidence and your ability to get back into playing whatever it was that you're doing. Um, mm-hmm. But with that, the intention of that should be to improve the quality of your life, right? It's not like you're yeah. trying to- gruel through something or to force yourself to, to like something that you were once really good at. It could be something completely different that you're trying to get into, but Mm -hmm. the goal of all of this should be to improve the quality of your life, not to like feel guilty or shameful that you're not doing something that you used to anymore and trying to force that when maybe that wasn't something that you cared about a whole lot, or maybe the season of your life that you're in, you just have different priorities and appreciation for different things. And that's okay, but you're kind of not even giving yourself a chance to explore that if you're not training with intention or being able to like get outside of your comfort zone in some of those um yeah. of your life you know what i mean
1: dude check your microphone make sure it's not on fire after that um but uh no i 100% agree with all that and i'd say like look at your motivation for doing things too and look at your goals like just because you're not i mean i get it once you're if you're playing for a sport you're training for the sport the goal is to get better at that sport especially if you're playing it like competitively or in college or pro ball or anything like that but that doesn't mean it it has to stop, you know, like you were saying, change your goals and, and just do it for the sake of doing it, just do it for the sake that it feels good. I mean, now that I'm not playing baseball professionally anymore, I I i for sure had those days where I'm like, okay, what am I doing? You know, like why am I doing this? But then I'll just do a couple sprints and I'm like, wow, that was fun. You know, I, I like moving fast. I I just I like jumping high, I like lifting heavy weights, I like moving lightweights fast, you know, I like doing all those quote-unquote athletic things just because they they feel good, they feel vigorous they feel energizing and and all of those things so i think not getting too down on the fact that maybe that chapter of your life is over but that doesn't mean your mindset has to change dramatically that doesn't mean you have to stop doing those things i mean even when you were playing competitively like you still enjoyed the training some people don't and and that's fine but you still enjoyed being an athlete so why not keep enjoying being an athlete you know that it's 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 I'm mean, gonna sound so hipster but it's a lifestyle okay but um yeah <laughs> yeah but no just just keep that playful mentality in everything and, and chances are you'll get a lot more enjoyment from even the mundane stuff uh that you're doing in the gym anyway which I mean as, as you and I both know with both diet and exercise consistency is by far the, the number one factor in everything so whatever you can do to enjoy it more that you're going to be more likely to to stay consistent at it which is is going to help you see the results you're probably going after
0: anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, dude. And it's, uh, it's amazing to see how your psychology really is the thing that determines whether or not you are successful or you continue showing up at something. Mm-hmm. Right. And and like mm-hmm. what headspace you're making a lot of these decisions in, is it a negative yeah. headspace or a positive headspace? And how do you mm-hmm. continue to perceive that? And it's, it's amazing because your psychology is different from your physiology in a sense, but they are so interconnected. Yeah. Uh, and to yeah. a certain extent, your psychology can 100% influence your physiology as well. Yeah. So really like it, it all starts with like it, the mindset and the headspace in which you approach things with like, what's what's the intent that you're doing things see, these things with? And a lot of times like that's the missing link of like you know, people don't tend to appreciate as much as maybe they should. Um, cause we mm-hmm. could sit here and stand or talk about like from a, um, a physiology standpoint, how training I like an athlete and, you know, a muscle recruitment standpoint and you being mm-hmm. able to, to uh, work your fast twitch fibers and, and, yep. uh, from an, an energy output standpoint yeah. and, uh, like all of these things are really cool, but it really doesn't matter. And it won't happen unless the, the psychology and the uh, the mindset of you believing that you could do it and you showing up yeah. to do it, and, and you kind of getting out of your comfort zone uh, mm-hmm. to continue to challenge yourself and, in yeah. you know, where you're at right now, that's when you see a lot of those benefits yeah. come to fruition, which is really what we're after, right? Is this, yeah. this idea as athletes, especially as younger kids, like we're always taught that we're competing against other people, mm-hmm. against your teammates and you compete together. Mm-hmm. The competition doesn't have to die as we get older, right? Like, like yeah. that competition with ourself could still be that fire that, you know, ignites us to be able to, to, to continue to put ourselves in these positions to get better every day, mm-hmm. to just really create mm-hmm. the healthiest version of you is kind of what we're after. Yeah.
1: Here. Yeah. And that's, and it's fine too, to, to understand that you might have new limitations as you get older as well. Like I, I, so I'm working with a, a coach out in Texas. His name is Danny Foley and, and he's just so awesome. The way he thinks about these things is brilliant. But one of the things he told me, um, Cause we'll get into overtraining, I think later on, but I was definitely overtraining when I started to work with him and, and we are were, we're dialing down, you know, like what effective dose is good throughout the week of exercise. So I was, overdoing it, I was overdoing it a little bit and he told me like, you know, really be mindful, listen to your body because those days, you know, I'm 33 now. So pretty much after you turn 30, those days of just going blindly into the gym and following your program exactly just because that's what your program says, those days are over and that's okay. Those days of just looking, oh, I have 500 pounds for deadlift scheduled today. I better do it. You know, you can get away with that shit when you're 18 or 20 or whatever it is, but you don't listen to your body. Your, your nervous system's maybe a little taxed. You didn't sleep well the night before, or, or maybe you're not as hydrated, you know, all these different factors. And, and if you're not feeling it that day, that's fine. Go do something else, you know, because just – continuous movement and continuous progress, even if the progress slows as you get older, that incremental progress is way better than getting hurt. It's way better than not only that, but getting kind of mentally hurt, getting burned out and not wanting to do anything. And then you're out of the gym for two months and then your progress goes way down, you know? So it's okay to, to understand that you might have a, a ceiling, like a, a lower ceiling than you did before. But embracing that has actually been a little bit weirdly liberating for me because I enjoy my workouts more, which is the point anyway, you know, I'm getting more enjoyment from my relationship with exercise, from my relationship with movement and to my own body, which I would argue, you know, those benefits greatly outweigh getting another five pounds on your deadlift max at, at, at points, you know, it's, it's diminishing returns, but when it comes to the physical side, but the, the mental and emotional enjoyment is mm-hmm. just priceless. You know, that sounds like such a cliche, but it's, it's so true, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I find that like motivation and, you know, rationale to keep training changes as we get older, like, Mm -hmm. again, it's, uh, it's just what I've seen, but like more vanity driven, um, motivation to train and work out and things like that. Even performance as well Mm -hmm. to more, maybe shifting more towards like longevity and, uh, just maybe appreciation for what your body can do. Like that's a normal progression. And, and sometimes it's scary to let go of some of those things that used to motivate us and to yeah. this new yeah. headspace and this new era of your life where, you know, you don't really care if you have a certain percentage of body fat, but you do care if you can, you know, keep up with your kids and play soccer for an hour and a half yep. after work or something mm-hmm. like that. Like that's, mm-hmm. that is a reality that a lot of people will get to eventually. Um, and there's a few different topics that I, that came to mind when you were mm-hmm. kind of telling me about all that one was overtraining, Um, and then yep. the other was like this idea of like, um, minimalism versus like maximalism type of training mm-hmm. that a lot of mm-hmm. us tend to, at least in the beginning and for majority of our life tend to view fitness and nutrition and, and getting into the gym as this like maximalist approach of like, what's the max amount that I need to be in there that I can, yeah. you know, be able to get the most progress from. When uh-huh. in reality, a lot of times I love this that. is not yeah. you, If you're listening to this right now. And this is not the season of your life in like you are here for every percentage that you could squeeze out of your training and whatever progress you can get. Like, that's great. And I think there, there's mm-hmm. a lot of utility for that and people need that, but there eventually gets to a point where you need to adopt more of this, like, or would benefit from getting to this minimalist style of training of like. What's the least amount of volume and work that I could do to still see some progress, or at least maintain what I've been able to build, mm-hmm. um, and reap a lot of these benefits that we get from exercise and all of these different things? But mm-hmm. um, you know, with that, I uh, I just think we get so caught up in this like hustle culture mentality in the gym where it's like you always have to strive and progress towards something different or something that mm-hmm. you don't already have when dude, sometimes like maintaining is the coolest headspace that you could be in with your health and fitness and things like that. But before we jump into maybe that side of things, I want to just touch on the overtraining side of things, just given that maybe you've had some recent experience with that Mm -hmm. Um, because Mm -hmm. one serious complication of like overtraining is burnout and decreased motivation to train. Or, um, this is where I, I have relating it to like high school athletes, college athletes, like people who just don't want to play their sport anymore. Cause they're, they've been doing mm-hmm. it forever and they're so burnt out on it and they don't want to ever do it again. Um, which mm-hmm. is reality for a lot of people sometimes. Yeah, I, mean, I think yeah. that people can take it to that extreme with just their own gym regimen or their own, um, lifting and, and exercise routine where they just like do too much because you think that the more is better when in yeah. reality, there's a, there's a balance between the two, but just, uh, give me your definition maybe of like what overtraining means to you and what you've seen in your practice and what you've experienced and like, how can you tell you're doing too much? And what does that even look like?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so kind of in the, in the same sense that a lot of people, like, let's say before they get sick or something, they, they notice like, Oh, you know, I've been a little bit stressed the past couple of weeks, or I haven't been sleeping that great. And it's like the, the sickness is just a consequence of that. Like it's, it's a side effect of not feeling the, the, uh, what do you call it? Like the big rock items, you know, in, in your bucket and whatnot. So I I kind of think overtraining is foreshadowed. There's it always leaves clues somewhere, you know, if if you look. So, um, I think it starts mentally, and I think that it starts with those feelings of burnout or just not being as stoked to go to the gym as maybe you once were. Not maybe it's not even the gym. Let's say you're a hiker and and you're just like you know I just don't feel like going up to the mountain today. Um not that every workout has to be like a 10 out of 10 excitement level. Like I'm just so inspired to go to the gym. That's, that's fine. Okay. But let's, let's just say like five is neutral. Let's say if you start noticing consistently that you're at a four or a three uh, inspiration wise to go to the gym and like how much you feel like it, I think overtraining starts there. I think you've overtrained a little bit and I think overtraining can start also with just how you're thinking about exercise as well. If you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself, you think you have to do, just this insane workout. Overtraining starts with that pressure that you're feeling. It starts with those in- insane expectations that you're putting on yourself. So, that's my initial de- definition of overtraining. But when you get into more of the physiological side of things, dude, I put on fat when I overtrain, and that's like a huge thing that that not a lot of people realize in in just like the general fitness space is is. That can lead to your body being like, nope, we're gonna, we're gonna like shut down these uh these muscle growth pathways and we're just gonna store fat because we are in survival and we are scared and we do not know what's gonna happen. So we might as well store all the fat that we can for this upcoming threat. Right. So I just noticed like even before that though, like I that's just kind of the funniest, like most ironic uh physiological thing that I noticed. But even before that, I I start to feel tired. I start to feel tired, not only when I'm at the gym, but like after the gym. Okay. And that's, that's a mindset change too, that we've talked about is like these days I want to, I want to train to enjoy my life. You know, I I'm not training for baseball specifically anymore. So it shifted a little bit. So I want to train, you know, let's say in the morning and still be up to play spike ball with my friends later on in the day, or like play Frisbee or something like that. I don't want to be so drained and so exhausted that I just can't even get off the couch afterwards. So I notice I'm more tired. I notice I feel just like little nicks and and bruises and, and weird injuries come up, you know, like I, I get it, at my shoulders a lot. Like if I'm um, if I'm just trying to max too much on bench or I don't really max that much anymore, but if I'm trying to go too heavy on, on bench too many times per week or whatever it is, I'll, you know, I'll start to get a little inflammation up here and I'll start to get a little creaky and um, I'll just know it. I'll feel run down. I'll feel like I'm having a cold or allergies, but I'm not at the same time. So those types of, I'll feel dehydrated a lot as well. I won't sleep as well. Um, so these are all things you can look at and be like, okay, if you have some of those things going on, maybe pull it back a little bit, maybe don't do that extra set, you know? And, and that's the, also the cool thing about this too, is once I I just find people's, people's bodies in my body, they find equilibrium pretty damn fast. Once you find a good recipe, once you find a, a good dose of something. So those, those overtraining symptoms that I was talking about earlier, those, those tend to go away pretty fast. Once I, once I just relax, but it's not a bad call either. If you just feel yourself super run down, take like five days off, you know, you're not going to lose any muscle in that time. Anyway, take like five days off, let you do some other activities that you find fun. It's, it's cool to still move and everything, but just don't live for five days. That That's fine. Um, let yourself just replenish your energy stores, your central nervous system, let that replenish. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Just look out for some of those signs and then, and then just, don't be afraid to dial it back and your body will, it'll, it'll bounce back pretty quickly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's cool that you kind of have a, a shared experience with that. Cause I think people mm-hmm. interpret overtraining and, and, and view that differently in, in our own lives. Cause to a certain extent it is subjective in a lot of ways and, and mm-hmm. how you're able to handle, um, maybe some of the pain or the discomfort or, um, the lower energy levels, like some people have the ability to push through that more, or some people feel like they got hit by a truck instantly because mm-hmm. like you said, their equilibrium is all out of whack.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: but really at the end of the day, like you can only work out and train as much as you can recover from. And mm-hmm. I don't think that people really have this, um, understanding sometimes that you can't just go as much as you want as frequently as you want and just expect the results to continue to compound over yeah. time. Like like more is yeah. really always better in these cases and rarely is more always better. Um, and part of that is because like we again have this perception that like if we're not doing something all the time or every day, then maybe we're losing progress or maybe we're not maximizing what we could be getting from the efforts that we are doing. When In reality, when you strategically structure your workout programming, or you see a trainer like yourself, or, um, maybe you're with a team and you have a coach that understands like rest days and the importance of those. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's when you start to see how this whole, um, this whole kind of big picture fits in terms of training and, and, uh, being able to handle how much volume you're taking in, because you start to find that you can actually maximize a lot of the potential that you have with less time. And that's a really cool yeah. headspace to be in and, and a way to approach this instead of just physically and emotionally draining yourself, thinking you always need to be just doing more all the time. And mm-hmm. you listed a lot of really good symptoms. You know, I would say a lot of this could be mitigated too, um, with, acknowledging other inputs of stress in your life and yeah, training yeah. is a huge stress on your body. It's a, it's, it can be a really positive stress. It's mm-hmm. something that we need to do to be healthier. And it has a lot of long-term health benefits if we do that correctly and consistently. But if we look at other stressors, like, um, your nutrition, for example, right. If you're not mm-hmm. fueling and, and meeting your minimum bare minimum, at least, amount of energy needs and protein needs and micronutrient needs. Like that's when you can see some of this overtraining come on a lot quicker than maybe somebody who has all yeah. the stuff dialed in and they're able to actually mm-hmm. get more out of their training in that sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned sleep, probably one of the most underrated things and something that fucking nobody gets enough of or prioritizes, mm-hmm. especially high school kids, right. And college yeah. kids and, and all this stuff, just the Whatever is going on, the video games or hanging out and like, and stuff that we both did as well. But sleep, if you're not getting enough sleep, even as a 34 year old, and uh-huh. you know, you're expecting yourself to consistently week after week progress over time, it's just an unrealistic expectation that you're having on yourself. So sometimes maybe focusing your energy on other things that you can control, whether it's sleep, you mentioned hydration, um, even your ability to like get the recommended amount of nutrients based on your goals and your body, um, which brings in this conversation of like how you know training for your physique and changing your body composition is different than like training for performance mm-hmm. um, and that's a definitely a conversation we can go on on for about an hour with yeah but- um, being able to appreciate that like, hey, your best performance, your likely best body, your best life is going to come from you eating more in certain situations. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying going and eating like a fucking high schooler and and having fast food and not eat breakfast and then eat a shit ton of snacks and stuff later in the day. But like eating enough calories coming from really good whole nutritious foods is, is going to be the thing that can maybe help prevent you from get to overtraining in the first place because- I find that a yep. lot of times the overtraining doesn't always come from the training itself. It comes from a combination of other things, not even including life stressors, right? Whether it's relationship a or job um, or mm-hmm. even financial or whatever other types of stress that you perceive to impact your quality of life. It's like, dude, all of those things together are 100% going to make it more likely for you to not to be able to recover from your training, mm-hmm. which is going to impact your gains and your progress in the gym. But a lot of times people just think that I'm not doing enough or I'm doing too um doing too little. And then yeah. that just tends to get exacerbated over time. So it's looking yep. holistically in at everything instead of just one thing individually.
1: Yeah. I love the holistic sense in that. And and it's a very oversimplified definition. But I mean, if you think of your your whole body's ability to recover and grow and all that just as a battery, I mean, like throughout the throughout the week, it's it's draining and and I mean there's there's like certain things you can do, I guess, but, but for the most part, your battery is fixed. And so embracing that, and instead of trying to push your limits and instead of trying to like extend your battery life, so to speak, just look at, okay, what is draining my battery? What, what are little subconscious things? You know, it's like, it's like with your phone, uh, when it, when it pops up that notification, that's like, this app hasn't been used, but it's draining your battery. You know, like what, what sorts of little apps like that are, are happening in your own life, whether it's lack of sleep, um, whether it's bad nutrition, whether it's uh relationship stress or job stress or anything like that. But yeah, dude, I, I just, everything is on, on this little continuum and everything impacts everything, but nothing impacts nothing at the same time. So, so what I mean by that is like one workout or one, meal that's, you know, you're just eating like high school, that's, that's not going to affect anything that, that impacts nothing. But at the same time, everything over the course of time impacts everything. So you, it's, you are a, a whole person and your whole throughout your whole life, there are things impacting your whole person. And those things don't just compartmentalize, they go into everything else and everything blows and blends and everything else which is what i find so cool about this because exercise can help with a lot of those things but yeah no just just being mindful of of just those little things that are draining your battery as well and then i don't know just fucking throwing a nap every once in a while too i mean like i i know not everybody has the time for this but uh i heard an interview where where uh lebron was going over his sleep schedule and he sleeps like he sleeps eight hours um wakes up has breakfast then goes back to sleep for another 4 hours you know and, and obviously he's got tools and recovery mechanisms that he pays i think it's like over a million dollars per year to work on his body so again we don't all have those resources and we don't all have that time but that's how seriously he takes it you know his sleep is a job for him and um i love naps so if so facto i am lebron james that's where i'm going with this but uh yeah i i just i, I think there's so many different things that can impact your whole person. So look at yourself as a whole person and look at your whole life as like, okay, what, what might be draining? What might be adding to it? And focus more on those things that are adding to it, you know, and, and how can we cut out some of those things that are draining or at least make them not as draining.
0: Yep. Yep. And let's say, yeah, we look at all those inputs and let's make a a general claim that somebody is crossing off all of those boxes or, or making sure that all those, you know, buckets are taken care of. And maybe it is the training that is one of the root causes for this kind of like overtraining or maybe doing too much load or volume over time. Maybe it's not recovering enough. Um, mm-hmm. which is the case sometimes, right? Like if there's a, people out there who do, you know, cause usually people who are super fascinated and interested in type a about their exercise. I find are also more likely to be more, um, type a and have that perfectionist mentality with their nutrition, with their Mm -hmm. recovery. Um, Mm -hmm. there are a subset of population that do do all of those things. And the training stimulus is the thing that is actually overflowing that stress bucket for the week. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. is there things that you've seen and that you've practiced with people that you've done personally, um, you mentioned, Hey, just take five days off of the gym, but is there a way to maybe prevent that overtraining from happening in the first place that Mm -hmm. uh, you intentionally try and do with maybe your clientele or, or people and, and I'll, I'll maybe go first and, You know, my world is more of the the hypertrophy world, kind of the bodybuilding type of of lifting resistance training. And for me, when I work with clients, it's like, hey, we're going to have this mesocycle that's five or six weeks, but we know that sixth or seventh week, we're going to be taking a deload or temporarily reducing the amount of load and volume and, and the things that we're doing in the gym to maybe give your body some time to resensitize to the stimulus that we're doing, but also to drop fatigue. So you feel good going into the next program or whatever it is. Right. Um, which I think could be generalized to other populations, other athletes, but let's be real. Like some people play year round, right? They have games every weekend. Um, maybe you're in high school sports and from May until January, you have something going on. So is there anything (laughs) that is, um, is there anything that you kind of keep in mind that you try and anticipate and prevent people from getting to that point, or just to kind of help mitigate some of the fatigue that people can kind of bring on with the training that you help them through and, and them doing on their own in general.
1: Yeah. So a uh, couple different angles on this, the, the first one's more of a tried and true kind of scientific angle. And that is just as a, as a general rule of thumb, every once, every four weeks, take a deload week. Um, so you can do three heavy weeks, you can do three high intensity sprint weeks, you know, whatever it is, that's taxing your central nervous system, then take a light week, then go higher reps, lower weight, throw in more weird like coordination movements instead. Cause, cause again, it's like you're working something, but you're not going to lose any muscle in a week. You, you don't have to keep progressing every week, but if you overdo it that week, then that setback will carry into your next block with whatever that is. So, so that's the first one, just, that's, it's, it's a really, really nice safeguard. And it's one that you don't really have to think about a lot. Just once every four weeks, take a deload week, do sets of 12 to 15 with some lighter weights, you know, even up to 20, I don't know, something like that. Um, don't spend as long in the gym those days, maybe cut it down, cut the time down by 10%, you know, something like that. Cut your, your total volume down by 15, 20%, maybe something like that. Um, but then the second one is a little bit more, uh, a little bit more of a, a philosophical change, and that is understanding, like the differences between. Let me see how I best want to put this. It's it's understanding where the lowest hanging fruit is for you. So, so I, I wrote down in the notes here. My this is my own personal experience. My squat versus pistol squat analogy. So assuming you have a good base of strength and a good base of horsepower and and you've maxed out, you know, in your career and and whatnot, like, let's say my, my squat max is 450. All right. So in order, especially, you know, as a 33 year old, in order to maintain that 450 pound squat, it's going to take a lot of central nervous system stress. It's going to take me getting super fired up, like pumping myself full of caffeine or whatever it is, like making sure everything is absolutely perfect in order to get 455 or 460, but shifting my focus and and realizing like, okay, is getting up to 455 or 460 on my squat, is that actually going to help my sprint times? Probably not. But one thing I noticed is I'm really weak on a pistol squat because I never really changed that before. So by me just swapping out my bilateral squat, like just regular back squat or front squat or whatever, or a pistol squat for trying to get strong on a single leg, trying to get strong generally on a movement that I'm not good at. I don't have to use as much weight and it's still really fucking hard for me. So that performance, that gain that I get in performance is going to be greater from getting better at the pistol squat than trying to grind it out for an extra five pounds on back squat. But it's actually going to help my performance be more because that was a bucket that was not very full. So let's say you're, you're weak, uh, in the frontal plane moving side to side. Let's say most of the things you do are in the sagittal plane, just front to back or whatever, go into some frontal plane stuff, throw those in and you won't be in as much of a risk as burning out as if you just try to hammer that same stuff. Or like, let's say, let's take an upper body example. Let's do a, a bench press here. So, cause that's just very common bro lift, you know, Monday, international chest day, you're trying every single Monday to like. Max out on bench, you get up to three hundred pounds, and and you really want to get three hundred five. Then you really want to get three ten. You'll get to a point again of that diminishing returns where you have to just try so hard for an extra five pounds or two and a half pounds or whatever it is. Instead, maybe do a single arm bench. You know, see how your core and your your growing and your um your oblique sling is working with your chest. You know, and and I would argue that once once you have a, a very strong base. That'll lead to more performance gains anyway, but you won't be as much of a at as much of a risk of
0: burning out, yeah, dude. Those are amazing examples. and it's uh, I think it just goes to show that there's a lot of ways to approach it, and it it doesn't have to be this one method, and a lot of times it's going to come down to something that maybe you find fits best with your life and your preferences. um for some people, that might be like intentionally programming a week here in the next six weeks to be able to temporarily take a step back and not do anything for a week or, or to maybe work out once instead of four times that week. Um, for other people, it could be temporarily reducing or, you know, doing something different from their workout training side of things to maybe go up in reps, maybe lighten the load, maybe work on form and technique, maybe throwing in some more mobility work and, and, um, just some lower intensity stuff or, um, some stuff that you can do that's different, that's complementary to what you're doing to maybe continue to see progressions in that, that kind of progressive overload model over time. Um, but also something that's slightly different that, uh, your body isn't really used to, you know, cause a lot of times what happens is your body can continue to get really good at, um, anticipating what's coming and, and yep. how to respond when those stimuluses are being sent, which is why, you know, sometimes when you see you only go up two and a half pounds over the course of a week in one movement, that's still progress. That's awesome progress. Um, because if, if that weren't the case, if you just continue to doing the same thing over and over again, you'd probably be the strongest man or woman in the world by the end of the year, You could just progressively improve all of your loads and things like that. But it takes temporarily taking a step back to continue taking steps forward over time. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I wish honestly, that I uh, had learned back in the day and, and something that, it's really taken me, I'm um, going through my own experience, kind of overtraining and underfueling, and feeling terrible for a period of time, just to come back to a place where you appreciate those things. Cause that's, that's a piece of the puzzle as well. And it's something that yeah. I think is not something that's talked about a whole lot in the whole health mm-hmm. space. Cause we're constantly mm-hmm. having this drive to just continue pushing regardless of, of how your body's mm-hmm. feeling. so.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's, you know, kind of as a caveat to that, like what we're talking about is different than trying to go for muscle confusion, you know, or or what you see on, I don't know, uh, hit classes or Zumba classes or anything like I, yeah, just that that's a whole different conversation, but, but that's, you're still, you can still do basic movements. You can still do foundational type movements, just do them in slightly different ways to challenge different motor pathways, different coordination pathways, all types of muscle fibers, you know, things like that. Um, It's, we're not talking about muscle confusion in, in the mainstream sense. We're talking about doing things in different ways from a foundational standpoint
0: totally dude and it's uh, it's funny you mentioned that muscle confusion because i think that's been really overhyped especially in like the high intensity space of this idea of like you you constantly have to do something different to keep your muscles guessing mm-hmm. to continue to see progress in all these areas when in reality yeah. i'm I'm from the stance now that like you repeating similar patterns, maybe it's not the same exact movement, but patterns mm-hmm. over time and continue to get stronger in those things is what really leads to significant muscle growth and changing yep. your physique and improving your performance. Um, mm-hmm. and this whole concept of muscle confusion. It's funny you say that. Cause I remember uh, I used to do P90X way long ago. I did that a couple of times okay. and I actually enjoyed it. I think it was I think it got a dumbbell in people's hands when maybe it normally wouldn't. And it's, Uh, it it had its place. Right. But, uh, Tony Horton was the guy who, who put that on and he used (laughs) the word muscle confusion. And I saw an interview years later and he essentially was like, yeah, I just fucking made that up. That's not actually a thing, but that was, it was advertised at the time to, um, kind of promote this product. But I see that a lot in the shit on some of these classes and other, you know, exercise modalities, because at the end of the day we need those things. It's a very, um, cool accessible thing for a lot of people. And it's an entry point into the fitness mm-hmm. space when maybe people wouldn't get into there, um, on their own completely. And yeah, I think that, I think that there's a place for it, but you know, someone like you, someone like me, I feel like we're, we're in the middle area where it's like, Hey, if you have never lifted before, we can start there. If you've yeah. been training for 10 years, we can continue and do something different and continue mm-hmm. to maximize your goals. Uh, yeah. is something I think you do a really good job at and just having, um, mutual friends and people, you got a really good compliment just the other night of how welcoming and how comfortable it feels to be in the gym and the space that you work out in, and and how you approach and train people, and kind of how you match people's energy and to be able to, you know, um, either make them laugh or take it seriously and and help them get what they want to out of the training session, which is where. I think we start to build this comfortability when it comes to being in the gym because that's not something that people are innately born with is being comfortable in some of these workout spaces, right? Mm-hmm. Um, especially from a female standpoint. And yeah. I'm curious because that's something that you harp on and, and you're very passionate about is like, how can we get people more confident and feeling better going to the gym and making uh, it yeah. part of their lives instead of mm-hmm. something that they feel like they have to do all the time? Like, how can you mm-hmm. make that space more enjoyable? Um, yeah, I'm curious on... Yeah how that's changed for you, your approach over time, but kind of where, um, Um, where you lean on different strategies to help people feel comfortable when maybe they wouldn't be coming to you, you know?
1: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Let me shut this door real quick. It just creeps open one sec. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um, so God confidence in, in general, especially in the gym, it's just, it's, it's one of the most fascinating topics to me. Um, like I said, in the gym, but also just life, because I've been very not confident and I've been not confident socially. I've been very not confident in the gym. I mean, like with my body, with my sense of movement and, and all that. So I think the first thing to do is, is just to notice that lack of confidence, like, like be at peace with it. I mean, and this is obviously, I'm not a therapist, but this, this has just worked so well for me Is learning to just observe those feelings and learning to disassociate with them and, and understand you are not that lack of confidence. You are not that, that insecurity. That's just an emotion. Okay. And that could be how you're looking at things that could be picked up along the way for whatever reason, but just observe it, let it be there. Second, almost welcome it, welcome it to go to, to come to the gym with you. You know, you can, a, a strategy that I've used before is, is to, uh, just, just kind of talk to it. Like it's a a little kid or something like that and be like, okay, I know, I notice you're here. Do you want to let's go work out together? Do you want to come with me? You know, and, and just kind of talking to it like that, you know, again, helps with that dissociation. But also then the next thing I would say is just get a general idea of what you're doing at the gym, you know, because I think not knowing what to do and, feeling kind of a lack of proficiency at the gym is really leads to that lack of confidence. So pick like three movements and just say, Hey, these are my three or four movements for the day. I know exactly what I'm doing. Let's say one of them's a hamstring curl and the hamstring m- curl machine is taken, do a bridge or something, you know, just have general ideas of what you're going to do so you can pivot. All right. So just understand like it doesn't have to be very complicated. So that lack of pressure that you're putting on yourself can really help that confidence be there. I kind of look at confidence as like, it's like everybody's born with it and everybody should have it. Everybody, you know, just like assuming healthy uh, circumstances and all that sort of stuff. Like your natural state is one of confidence. So kind of like a, uh, like a wine cork, if you hold it under the water, that's what any sort of insecurity is or whatnot. When you release that the wine cork just goes right back up. It just starts to float back on the surface. That's what happens. So, it's more of looking at the things that are kind of maybe holding you back from just being your natural, vibrant, confident self. And again, you don't have to do anything about those things right away. Just notice them. Just, just be aware of what's going on. And again, I think, I think a lack of feeling a lack of proficiency is one of the things that really drags you down under the surface, so to speak. So if you simplify things, if you, if you just don't put a lot of pressure on yourself, I'm doing a squat, some sort of a row, uh, a push movement and a hammy curl. That's it you know, and, and you do those things, that's, that's where you can start. Now, when it comes to like working out with the trainer, that's kind of a different thing. And, and I think that's, that's easier to get confidence from because you're taking the guesswork out of it by working out with somebody like me. So then my job then is to understand, I'm kind of a I I was a sociology major in, in psych minor. So I just, I just love this stuff, but that becomes my job is to find out kind of how your brain works, how, how you tick, what are your motivation styles what do you respond well to do you respond well if i kind of get on you a little bit and I, i'm never going to be that like rah rah two more type of trainer i no, but can i joke around with you or or do you feel more comfortable if we take it seriously and uh i'd say i'd actually say one of the main like staples of my training has been shit talking my clients and welcoming them doing it back to me i find when you tease people like caveat here, teasing in a, in a very good natured sense, they, they understand that you're not serious about anything, but when you tease people, it actually gives them permission to be themselves. You know, they're like, Oh wait, okay. This is light. You know, this, this is okay. It's, it's fine to just, to just be me. And it's going to be, you're teasing from a space that you're like welcoming them and and appreciating their, their little quirks and stuff. So yeah, I should talk my clients all the time. And I find those jokes back and forth anything you can do to create a positive relationship with the gym is is me doing my job. That's probably the most important job that I have. And even those people that don't like the gym, okay, how can we get them to not like it just a little bit less, you know, and a little bit less, or or how can we help them see how this is helping them reach their goals? You know, because that's, that's probably my most important job, actually, is helping them reach their goals. But to do that, you have to create at, at least somewhat of a positive relationship with the gym. So I'd say it's it's learning what these people's styles are, what their personalities are like. And I have people I'm totally straight laced with, and they love that; they feel safe and comfortable with that. And I have people that open up more the more I joke with them, or the more I make fun of myself in in a in a in a kind way, you know, and, and telling them about my own struggles. So I think it's there there's so many aspects that go into training, but when you're working out with a trainer, I think that actually makes things easier. I mean, w- one of the most common uh, deterrence I hear from working out, like with somebody like myself or, or any other trainer is that they don't feel like they're in shape enough to work out with a trainer. Like that's the most common thing I hear. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to start walking every day and then I'll come see you. I'm going to go do Pilates. Then I'll come see you once I'm in shape for that. And it's like, that's, that's the equivalent of like taking your broken down car to the auto shop and being like, you know what? it's not in shape enough for you guys to work on it. I'm going to go drive it around the block for like five miles and then we'll, it'll be in shape. It's like, no, that's just under, maybe it's, maybe it's a lack of understanding then what we do. Like we start you wherever you're at, you know, with whatever nicks, whatever injuries. Um, if, if there's something that's over my head, I can refer you out to a PT, you know, like we start you where you're at and we build you up from there. So understanding what you're getting into and also understanding that our job is, To make you enjoy movement, to help you enjoy movement more. So yeah, that was kind of long-winded, but I it's just one of my favorite topics,
0: man. So appreciate you listening. Oh, dude, that's spot on. Yeah. And I uh I apologize if you can hear my dog barking. I got the (laughs) people come in here and they're knocking on my door. My dog's going crazy. So sorry for people hearing the dog in the background. But uh yeah, I think that's what uh I think that's what's really uh powerful about utilizing a personal trainer, even if Because the financial objection is definitely something Mm -hmm. that's real and that a lot of people struggle with, but I think we also have to, I think we also have to appreciate that you don't, you don't necessarily have to find somebody that you have to pay for four sessions a week for a month, for a year to get to where you want to be. Like, this is where maybe finding, um, um, you know, some resources to be able to pay for one session or a long thing. Yeah. If you have anybody like Eric or a good personal trainer that you're seeing in person, they're going to be able to like send you home with either homework or a combination uh-huh. of things that you can continue to replicate over time that you can find comfortability in doing it on your own and, and not necessarily relying on somebody to do that, you know, um, for you every single week or every single month, if that's something that's of a concern to you. Um, but I find, I agree. I think that that's where like people like us and we're biased, right. We're going to tell you, you need to come see us and all these things. But in reality, it's like, our goal isn't always to keep you forever. A lot of times it's definitely, uh, to, to, to get to a spot where you can feel comfortable doing stuff on your own and Mm -hmm. getting people into the gym can be really difficult, especially if it's something that they've never done before. And I find that like helping people get to a place where, you know, um, they're just doing things that meet them where they're at. Like you said, like, Not putting somebody in a hack squat machine if that's their first time into the gym and saying, hey, let's go do some type of dumbbell work or things that Mm -hmm. you can go and feel comfortable in that's not going to be overcrowded or you don't have to manipulate this big machine to get into something that is, you know, maybe going to be uncomfortable for you meeting where you're at is going to be important. And whether you're a gym staff member, if you don't have a personal trainer and you're just going to a gym could help with that. Um, again, mm-hmm. following people online could be something that just gets your mind rolling around some of these things. Cause you don't have to always come up with stuff all the time. Yeah, um, And yeah. I just find that that's something that is the thing that deters people from trying things in the first place, or just maybe you're, you're gravitating more towards the the cardio section or, or just going on walks instead, which there are benefits to those things. But mm-hmm. from a resistance training standpoint, like that's where that's, that's just the fountain of youth and being able to become yeah. comfortable and competent in that kind of space is going to do you wonders long-term, you know what I mean? Dude, so.
1: Yeah. I, I, I tell people all the time, like my goal is for you not to need me. You know, I want you out of here. I want you to be so empowered and understand these principles of movement that you can go create your own workout from scratch. And, and a lot of people just like the accountability. They like, they have enough responsibility. They they like somebody telling them what to do, but that's my goal, at least to empower them that much to where they don't need me anymore. And I actually find that type of mentality gets more people coming back. So it's better for business, ironically, than, than trying to like, hold on to people so tightly and tell them that they need you, you know?
0: Yeah. Amen. And, uh, the last thing that comes to mind today that kind of plays into this whole thing as well is like, you know, getting people into the door, like a lot of times people need to make that decision for themselves. And a lot of times that mm-hmm. comes from, a. uh, a quick spark of motivation that a lot of times is transient, right. That doesn't last forever. Um, and a lot of times people get into this mindset of like, I, I only work out when I'm motivated, right. Or, mm. or it's hard to keep going. Cause I'm not motivated to keep going. And I'm just curious on, on, on your kind of thoughts and, in um, just your stance on this idea of like, motivation versus maybe something like discipline or, um, whatever comes to mind when it comes to getting people in the gym and staying there long-term, even though they might mm-hmm. not like doing that, or that's not something yeah. that is intuitive and easy for them. Cause a lot of people struggle with that more than most. Right. And we're kind of the minority mm-hmm. in the sense that we do this for a living. We love it and we breathe it, but not everybody is like that. And we shouldn't expect mm-hmm. that from everyone. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love to look at motivation versus inspiration and if you can get anywhere on the inspiration side of the spectrum, I think that's where you want to live. You, you, like we mentioned earlier today, like you, you're not going to be a 10 out of 10. Can't wait to go to the gym every day. You you might not even be at a seven out of 10 or, or whatever, but if you're just on the other side of the spectrum, okay. So how do you get there? How do you get more into the inspiration side of things? Well, I, I kind of think a motivation is like in tears. So actually, let me back up. I, I think inspiration is having a vision and being called to that vision almost to the point where there's like there's no decision to be made there's no willpower it's just like oh this is where i want to go and or this is who i am i just am somebody who moves i am somebody who works out then you don't have to make the decision to go work out because it's just who you are so motivation i think is trying to avoid some sort of negative consequence you know if you take it back to like even like Uh, an evolutionary standpoint like you're motivated to kind of get scared when you hear a loud noise because it could be a fucking tiger or something and you're kind of running away from being eaten so like that's motivation and motivation is not bad but it's important to understand the difference between the two so that's i think number one is is are you coming at this from trying to avoid being overweight or trying to avoid not feeling good about yourself? Are you trying to avoid something or are you just doing something because you love the idea of what exercise can bring you? Or do you just love the vision of who you are when you move, you know, things like that. So, but when looking at the tiers of motivation, I, I find there's like, there's a couple of different tiers and depending on where you fall onto these, it can help just help you follow through with your goals more. So, th- so there's like, right here in the middle, that's kind of like day-to-day sort of, sort of to your motivation. So that's like, okay, if I exercise, I'll feel better afterward. You know, I'll, I'll do something this, this is going to help my day-to-day life, or, or I might feel a little bit more energized, or I'll have some endorphins flow and I'll feel pretty good. That's like the day-to-day type of stuff. Underneath that, you have kind of like the petty levels of motivation, you know, like, like after breakup, you're trying to get a revenge body and, and fuck it, I've been there. Um, I've, I've done a lot of petty motivational stuff in my life. (laughs) And so it's fine for it to be there, but just understand that's where it's coming from. Then if on the higher sense, that's kind of like the higher level once you're, once you're getting into the inspirational sort of sense. So those are like the, the overarching long-term sort of goals. Like I want to be somebody who feels good about my body. I want to, I want to be somebody who feels good about working out, about moving, who loves to play, who, is around for their kids. Who's going to be able to not just be around for them, but, but like help them play as well, play with them. You know, those are all higher level stuff that like, when you think about that just makes you feel good. You know, it's kind of, it's, I know it's subjective for every person, but like, that's pretty objectively awesome, you know, to, to just increase your performance, increase, increase your longevity, increase your quality of life, start looking at it, maybe take stock of where you fall at those different tiers and try to put yourself in the frame of mind in, in those higher tiers of, of that's the point where I think you're getting out of motivation and you're getting into inspiration, if that makes sense. So you're, you're just, you have this high vision of yourself where you want to go. Even if you're satisfied with where you are now, you know, you're living in that, in that sense of inspiration and you're being called to it. You're there's no, like I said, there's no willpower. It's just, it's who you are. And once you can make those foundational changes, I mean, that's when God, it just it frees up so much mental bandwidth as well. So just frees up a lot of room for higher quality of life. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, dude, you killed that. I love that. And it's uh yeah, this idea of uh inspiration is really cool and cr- kind of creating this new identity for yourself, right? Because yeah, um, I think motivation is cool because it, it can start the job in certain cases, uh and it can mm-hmm. speed up a, a process yep. or something if, if you use it correctly. Um, but it's never going to finish the job. And, and even, even thinking about like this whole health pursuit that we're all on this fitness pursuit, like it's a lifelong pursuit. And, and Mm -hmm. you have an end date to that, like chances are you benefit from looking at that in a different light. But when you start to, to understand and appreciate what it is you want, like what's important to you, is it, you know, a body goal? Is it a performance goal? Is it a health and longevity goal? Like Once you start to appreciate the things that you really want out of life, and then you start to break that down into small daily, weekly tasks in in 99.9% of the time, that's going to include exercising of some sort. Then you start to appreciate it's like, hey, I may not want to do this. I may not like doing this all the time, but I know my overarching goal requires this as part of that process and yeah. you're more yeah. likely to do it in spite of how you feel that day and how you wake up and in your motivation for the day exactly. because you know exactly. it's important to you and you, some days you might enjoy it some days you might not but you know that that's mm-hmm. part of the over overall process that you're working towards and that's again where confidence comes from it's not you achieving whatever goal it is it's you being able to do hard shit even when it's difficult and uh, mm-hmm. that's where mm-hmm. just kind of creating this different identity of who you are where you want to be and what's that person who I want to be like, what are they doing Mm -hmm. day to day and week to week? Chances are that's going to be the thing that keeps you going more so than motivation alone. So,
1: and the the thing I love about that too, is you can start to make identity changes before you quote unquote, have those things that would make identity changes. So even if you're not where you want to be in your fitness journey or whatever it is, you can start to think about yourself as somebody who is, you can look at your overarching goal and just hold on to that. It, It doesn't have to be like a, a fake it till you make it type of situation. You can acknowledge where you're at now, but just having that overarching goal in mind will help your help move your mindset towards that. And and that's what I love about this. It's it's very possible for everybody. You know, it's it might not possible be possible for everybody to be LeBron, but it's possible for everybody to have an overarching goal and to start moving towards that. So it's so accessible and way more accessible than I think a lot of people realize.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, dude. Great chat today. I'm going to stop. Awesome, the man. So we could talk for another hour, I bet. But, uh, <laughs> tell the people where they can find you, and uh, I'll plug everything in the show notes as well.
1: Awesome, perfect, man. So yeah, I just started a new Instagram page. It is all lowercase at Eric Underwood underscore right after the Underwood, uh, Eric with a K. Um, but uh, yeah, dude, thanks again for having me on. I just, I mean, I feel like even our normal everyday conversations, like they're they're all geared towards this sort of thing, and you can make a podcast out of any one of them. And you know, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know the difference, but love it, man. Appreciate it.
0: Of course. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you found value and enjoyed it, it would mean the world to me. If you posted a screenshot to your social media, if you do make sure you tag me so I can say thanks. Or if you're on iTunes, scrolling down and leaving a five-star review would be much appreciated. And if you ever want to get in touch with me, you can always find me on Instagram at lukesmithrd. Thanks again for tuning in, and I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. I'll see you on the next episode.